0: Blob Talk Radio. Hi everyone, this is Denise Brown, your host of Your Caregiving Journey, a talk show that helps you as you help family members and friends. It is Monday, August 21st. It's 10 a.m. Central Time and we're live out of Chicago. In just a few moments, our guest will join us. And I just got Tina on the line right now and I apologize to you, Tina. I've got you on mute, but I wanted to let you know I just Got really sidetracked this morning, so I apologize. I called you like just before the show started. So Tina's on hold. We're good to go. Oh, my gosh. I don't know what I was doing this morning. It's the eclipse. That's what I'm going to blame it on. I'm very excited because I'm going to take a few hours off from work, meet my sister for lunch, and then we're going to go to our public library parking lot (laughs) to watch the eclipse. And that is a highlight of my day. I'm very excited about it, so I think I just got Really thrown off. So anyway, a couple quick updates before I bring our guest on. Just want to let you know that we had a bold video contest for our second annual National Caregiving Conference, and everyone who entered is going to win a chance. Is going to win a trip to Chicago for our conference on November 10th and 11th. I sent a note to our contest entries this morning. What's always so awesome about these contests is that it gives a person a chance to win during a time when it feels like there are no wins. So for instance, one of our winners who cares for her grandmother received my note this morning that she had won $500 and a two-night stay in our conference hotel while she's at the hospital with her grandmother. So you can imagine during a time when you are stressed out and worried to get an email that says, you've won, wow, just gives you a little momentum and motivation to keep going and to know that there are not going to be all bad days that come, even on the days that feel terrible. So I'll post the videos of those winners by Wednesday. I'm heading out of town later today. I'll be back tomorrow. So I'll have a chance, I think, tomorrow late in the day to post the videos. And for those who entered the contest, what they did was they created a two-minute video that shared their bold caregiving moment. And I think you'll enjoy watching the videos. One thing that I love about our, our videos is that it shows the diversity of family caregivers. So you see men, women, you see all ethnicities, you see all ages, and you hear about all different Caregiving experiences. And I think that's something important for us to show. We always hear the data, right? It's a woman in her late 40s who cares for a parent. And while that data obviously is relevant, it misses the other stories of caregiving that are out there, the other experiences. And what we want to make sure people know is that anyone of any age, of any gender, can be in a caregiving experience. So those videos show it, and then when you come to the conference, you'll hear it. Our conference agenda, it's just really uh it's just awesome. I'm almost tongue-tied about it because it really is two days filled with just fantastic sessions. And again, our panelists and presenters are family caregivers and former family caregivers. So we, we gather to talk about what it's like for us. We do have a few experts thrown in there. So it's a little different than other conferences where you go and you hear an expert talk about a disease that your carry has been diagnosed with. At this conference, we really talk about what's the lifestyle of caregiving. How do we manage it all? How do we cope? How do we continue? How do we stay motivated? How do we find what we need? How do we tell someone what we need? That's really the goal of the conference. It's about us getting together, sharing what it's like for us, how we found a solution, and then sharing it. I hope you'll join us. You can join us in person in Chicago or join us virtually for two days. This year we are virtually broadcasting the conference on Friday and Saturday. We have one track that we're broadcasting on Friday, and that's our practical track. And then on Saturday we're broadcasting our general sessions, which include our keynote, our fashion show, which is a highlight, which was a highlight last year, And then two panel discussions with family caregivers and former family caregivers. The first one is A Life Interrupted, Picking Up the Pieces. And the second one is um, Loud and Proud, the Bold Battle Cry of an Advocating Family Caregiver and Former Family Caregiver. So if you can't join us in Chicago, you can still join us virtually. You can watch the conference and connect and share with others who join us in the chat room. Okay, so those are the updates for you. So let me bring on our our very patient <laughs> and compassionate guest, Tina Ketchy Stern. So Tina, good morning. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Good morning. And listen, I'm I'm honored to be here, so it's no problem at all.
0: Oh, good. Okay. Cause, you know, as the time was ticking, I don't know what I was doing and then I looked at the clock and I thought, "Oh my heavens." So I appreciate your patience. Um And I'm so glad you could join me today. So Tina and I connected a few months ago because Tina has created this great tele-summit called It's About How You Live, Taking the Fear Out of Having Conversations with Advanced Care Planning, Serious Illness, and End-of-Life Care. And I should tell you that Tina has worked in hospice for the past 12 years. She educates medical professionals as well as the community at large about end-of-life care, advanced care planning, caregiving, and grief. And certainly, because of your 12 years in hospice, you've been inspired to create Telesummit. So as you've been putting together the Telesummit, Tina, you know, what is it that you are most excited about it? What is it that you think is most powerful about it?
1: Well, I have to tell you, uh, um I recorded the last of 22 interviews yesterday. Um, The Telesummit involves 21 experts, and Denise is one of them. So let me just thank you for being a part of the Telesummit. It was wonderful. Um, And then I decided, my team said that I had to be one of the speakers as well. So it was going to be 21, and so I guess I make 22. Um, And there are experts in either caregiving like Denise or advanced care planning or grief or hospice, palliative care, end-of-life care. And then there's some experts that have experience in lots of those things, not just one. Um, so what I was really hoping was, and I do want to explain that it's about how you live, that is actually the tagline for the National Hospice and Palliative Care Organization. They have a ribbon. You know, there are lots of organizations that have ribbons, breast cancer, support your troops. The hospice ribbon says it's about how you live. And that certainly is not the way most people think of hospice. But I think every hospice provider will tell you that we're not helping people die. We're helping people live until they die. So hospice care really is about how you live. It's about making the most of every day you've got remaining on this planet, and we are trying to make you as comfortable, feel as good as you possibly can. You know, we like to think of it as a bucket list time. You know, did you want to go to the beach again? Did you want to do this, that? Whatever it is, can can we just try to get those things done and check off as many bucket list things as we can because the hospice benefit is a six-month benefit. A lot of people think it's just for a few days or weeks, but it's not. But just to kind of circle back and answer your question a little more directly, Denise, is what I was hoping to happen through the Telesummit after filming that last interview yesterday did indeed happen. And what I mean by that is cumulatively listening to all those interviews, you're going to be so empowered and feel so much better about not being afraid of having these conversations, and rather embracing having these conversations. Because when you're talking to your loved one about what treatments they want, when they don't want them anymore, just all these things that that these conversations that need to happen, um, you're actually building and 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 deepening your relationship with that loved one. You're, you're going to have a deeper, richer, more intimate connection with your loved one because of these conversations. So it's not something to fear. It's something to embrace. And I don't know if excited is the right word, but just take advantage of that opportunity to really get to know your loved one in a way that you probably never had before. I was lucky enough to have a mentor when
0: I started working with family caregivers, this wonderful woman who happened to live near me, who was really the pioneer in caregiving. She had started an organization in the mid-80s called Children of Aging Parents. And she took me under her wings. She was just fantastic. And one of the stories she told me was about caring for her dad. He was in the hospital. She knew the end was coming, and she knew she had to ask him about his wishes for a funeral and she just dreaded the conversation and so mm-hmm. she made herself go into the hospital she made herself sit down and say dad tell me tell me what you want in terms of your death and your services and then he told her everything he wanted because of course he knew we all know mm-hmm. right just mm-hmm. waiting for someone to say it's okay to talk about it so he told her everything right. he wanted. now some of the things she couldn't make happen he had wanted to have his ashes scattered on top of a mountain in Italy, and she just couldn't make everything happen, but she was grateful right. she knew all of it so that she could do what she, what, so what she created was what she could do. And she would right. often reflect on that that conversation as being really one of the most powerful conversations she had and how grateful she was she asked. Because yes. otherwise she wouldn't have given him what he wanted. She wouldn't have known So she was so grateful for that opportunity to connect with him and just openly
1: share about what he wanted so she could give that to him. That's right. That's right. And I think people, sometimes they're afraid to bring it up. Once once there is a serious illness that we're involved in, and, of course, your audience or caregivers, meaning they are right in the middle of of some kind of um, uh, situation, some kind of serious illness diagnosis or prognosis. So um, when you're in the middle of it, you want to make sure this person, your loved one that you're caring for, um, knows that you want to just honor every single thing that is important to them. And the only way you're going to know it is if you ask these questions. So, for example, there was a woman years ago, uh, a colleague of mine and I were uh, presenting to an elder, uh, elderly group. We were talking about the importance of advanced care planning and having these conversations with your loved ones. And, and the way I like to do it is to, to it, you know, people don't want to talk about it, but I'll say, you know, describe your perfect last day on the planet. Why don't you start there? And it can be anything. That's a kind of a pie in the sky, like, you know, anything. Um, so just to share, my perfect last day on the planet is um, the dogs on the bed. Louis Armstrong is playing It's a Wonderful World in the background because I love that song. Uh, somebody's baking a cobbler of some fashion so that I can smell that. Mm-hmm. I have a list of some people that I want to be sure are there. And I actually have another list of a few people I want to be sure are not there. <laughs> um, and I want somebody <laughs> holding I my hand. That. I know. I know. It's, it's, <laughs> just, it's just the way it is. Um, and I want somebody holding my hand. And I don't care if they have to do round the clock shifts. I want somebody holding my hand. That's what I want. So we're having this conversation with this group. And this little lady is sitting in one of those electric wheelchairs, those little rascals, and she's got tears coming down her cheeks. And I said, what? What's the matter? Why are you crying? What did we say that was upsetting? And she said, I want my bird on my shoulder. (laughs) And I said, well, does your family know you want your bird on your shoulder? And she shook her head no. And I said, will you please promise me you will go home tonight and tell them you want your bird on your shoulder? And she said she would. So you just don't know until you ask what's important to people. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: I, I This reminds me of something I did years ago. I used to publish a newsletter called Caregiving. It was a print publication. And an, uh, a series of articles I did for one issue was about giving a good death. And I thought, well, if I'm going to write about what a good death is, I better start asking people. So I sent out an email to family members, friends, colleagues, and said, basically, what do you envision as being a good way to die? What's your personal wish as you go through that? And I think sometimes we feel like, you know, no one's going to want to answer that question. You know, you know people don't want to talk about it. So what was interesting to me is I sent this email to everyone. I didn't go by the assumption of, well, I'll just send it to people who I think will. I sent it to everyone. And the first person who answered was the last person I thought would answer. It was one of my brother. He's had this really beautiful reflection about what, what end of life is all about, what he wants it to be. And I think that's something for us to remember, too, that we think people don't want to talk about it, but we've all thought about it. So let's start the conversation. That was a good lesson for me, too.
1: And, Denise, I'm not sure. I can't remember if you're a baby boomer or not, I know I am, um, and we got a new name which is called the Silver Tsunami because 10,000 baby boomers are turning 65 every single day, and if there are one or two people that you're caring for now, um, you might have multiple people you're caring for in the next 20, 30 years simply because of the Absolutely. demographic of our, of our nation, so you, we must get comfortable Talking about these things and embracing the conversation, not, oh, you know, I'm not trying to talk about this because I want you to hurry up and die. Obviously not. This is about, again, deepening your understanding and your ability to love and support and honor this person and make sure every little thing that they want or are interested in or want to see or read or touch or feel or whatever, that you're just trying to make all of that happen as to the best of your ability. Yeah. Uh, It it, it just, if people can just focus on this is taking your relationship to a much more intimate, deeper, richer level with the person you're caring for and approach it like that, not something to be afraid of.
0: And it's a two-way conversation too. So when I've talked about it with, yeah, when I've talked about it with my parents, I actually had a conversation with my sister and brother-in-law at the same time I was asking my parents about it. And I said, well, this is what I want. I want everybody to know what I want too. And I actually had a conversation with one of my nieces. I said, here, this is what I envision. This is what I would like. I would be cremated. If my parents are buried in a plot, just spread some of my ashes by them. So, you know, we're all together. <laughs> so, um, and I want my, I also want to be um have my body donated to science. Those are things mm-hmm. that we need to tell people about if we want. So it's a it's a two-way conversation. It's listening to hear what someone else wants and then it's sharing what we want. And I think what's interesting about it too is that we can find inspiration from what others want. Absolutely. We think, and it, I think about yeah, it I'm, that way. I
1: could yeah, I could not have said it better because you really do it you know, after you learn what this person wants, the person that you're caring for, then you need to turn to your your family that's maybe sitting around, because hopefully everybody's around having these conversations together, and do exactly what you just said, okay? So you know what, we haven't talked about this, so let me share with you some of the things that are important to me. Um, and, and again, your audience are caregivers, they're in the thick of it right now, but they have people in their life that are not ill currently, that they need to have these conversations with. And it's not a one and done because you may feel one way today long before the illness and then down the road, if you're diagnosed with something serious, you may change your mind about what you wanted. And that's fine. You can change your mind as long as you're decisional, you make the call. What you felt like yesterday could be completely different than what you feel like today. That's totally okay. But I do want to put the emphasis on having the conversation. Some people will say, Oh, I've done my advanced directives. The forms are all filled out, and they're in a lockbox at the bank, and blah, blah, blah. Well, number one, lockbox at the bank ain't going to do anybody any good. Uh, you need to make copies of these things and spread them around like confetti with everybody that you love so everybody knows what your wishes are. But the idea is to do it well in advance of a crisis or the unexpected um, because it's a lot easier talking about going on a ventilator when you really aren't faced with the decision if you're going to go on a ventilator or not. So these conversations need to happen well in advance, And the conversation is what's key. Having the documents done and notarized, that's important. Okay, fine. That's the last step. The first step is, it's kind of three Ds, decide, discuss, document. You decide what you want. And, of course, it's just scenario planning when you're doing it well in advance of an issue. So, you know, under this condition, I think I want this and this and that. So you decide what you think you'd like. Then you discuss it with your loved ones your physician, your pastor, whoever, all the important people in your life, and then you document it. But, but the biggest part of it is having the conversation with not just one person, everybody in your life, so everybody hears about it. I will tell you, cause, and this may speak to your caregivers, um, our grief counselors at hospice can tell after the death when these conversations happened and when they did not. Because when they did not happen, there's a lot of guilt and a lot of wringing of the hands. I don't know if I did the right thing. So have the conversation before the death. Yeah.
0: I, you know, if if you haven't been part of a death, it's hard to really understand the impact of the final moment. It's You don't get another one after that. And I think that's such an interesting insight to share that conversation and communication can alleviate the guilt at the end because you knew, you knew what they wanted.
1: Yeah. One of my interviews in the tele-summit was with a woman with ARP, and she had the greatest idea. She called it her regret uh, question. She asked everybody caregivers, Um, sitting down right now today, if your loved one died right now, like this minute, what would you wish you had said or asked or talked about with them? What would you be sorry you didn't discuss with your loved one if they died this very minute? Write those things down and then go talk about it. Go share with your loved one. And I thought, you know, that really forces you to sit down and consider, gee, you know, have I told them that they were just a wonderful mom or they were such a huge supporter in my life? Whatever the case is, because if that person died right this minute, what would you regret not having an opportunity to say? And then go say it. Go talk to them about it so that you don't have any regrets after the loss. Yeah. Yeah. I thought it was a great idea. Yeah.
0: And I think what happens, we get stuck in the busyness of caregiving, the task,
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. the to-do
0: list. There's so much to do. There's so much pressure and responsibility that sometimes we do lose focus of the bigger picture. And the bigger picture is caregiving is kind of like a holding room. We're in the holding pattern. We're taking care of someone who is on their way to heaven. And I think if we can keep that in mind, it can help us stay focused on, well, what's really truly the priority here. This is not forever. And because it isn't forever, what can I do to make sure that it's meaningful and those conversations are part of what makes it meaningful.
1: That's right. And and I do want to share, um, I know your conference coming up in Chicago, you probably have all kinds of people talking about uh, taking care of the caregivers so they can take care of the loved one. I do just from working in hospice, and I don't want to mis- mislead anybody. I am not clinical. I do education about hospice and what we do and when it's time to involve us and that kind of thing uh, for both medical professionals as well as the general community at large. But I'm not a nurse. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a social worker. But I have been around this place long enough that I can tell you um, it is not uncommon that a caregiver, particularly if it's an elderly couple, it's not uncommon that the caregiver winds up falling ill and coming into hospice services and dying before the original patient because caregiving is so exhausting. So I really encourage all your caregivers listening to please take care of yourself. If you don't think there's enough time, there is, even if it's just five minutes. You know, do whether it's the bath or the walk or the deep breathing or whatever it is, just please take care of yourselves because it's not uncommon that you wind up getting sick because of your caregiving responsibilities. So one
0: thing I like to kind of shift the perspective a little bit is that I, it's important that we take care of ourselves because it's important we take care of ourselves. Right. And right. Certainly, certainly it's important for us to be our best in our caregiving situation for our careeers. And it's even more important that we just take care of ourselves because we deserve it. And I think one of the things that kind of falls by the wayside and changes is our priorities during caregiving. And one thing that I learned is that I had to really set my priority and what it was that I would not sacrifice. Otherwise, you lose it all. So I was very Mm -hmm. clear what I would not give up. And that what I wanted to keep, regardless of what would happen. And because I was clear and communicated those things, everybody knows it. And so when one of those things happens during a particular crisis with my parents, there's no discussion about whether or not I keep my paid speaking gig. I keep it because I've been clear those are the things I keep. I swim laps at our local outdoor community pool, which I love in the summer. It's coming to an end. And then I go mm-hmm. into our indoor pool. And that's what I do. And everybody knows it. <laughs> and so there's never I any, think that's so oh, no, you can't do, yeah, you can't do that. Cause you know, something else is coming up. Those are my priorities. And I think what happens is the priorities seem to focus on the critical needs and our caree has a critical need. What's important mm-hmm. to know is that our priorities are also critical needs and to okay. set them, be clear about them and then really respect them. If you don't respect them, no one else will. So Um, I think that's that's part of it. I think that's very smart. Yes, exactly. So we have just about four minutes left. We are also going to have a conversation on Friday on Facebook Live. So we're going to continue the conversation then. We're not just starting. We're continuing. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you what happened that you made the shift from your
1: previous career,
0: which was the travel industry, into hospice.
1: Um, You know, I have always loved seniors. I just think they're the coolest creatures on the planet. I feel like, you know, they're these amazing little time capsules that they feel, they may look 80 on the outside, but inside their head they're 18, and they've just got stories and have done shenanigans that we hadn't even thought about doing, and I just love being around seniors, so we, my uh, husband and I traveled quite a bit in the travel industry, and we came back to Winston-Salem, which is where I was born. And when we returned here, this was in 2003, I thought, you know, I don't want to get on a plane anymore. I don't want to do a lot of traveling anymore. Um, I want to do something that is more community-focused and a little more rewarding. I was in corporate travel management, and I had a successful career, but it wasn't rewarding in a real deep, meaningful way. And so um, I Somebody told me that hospice had an opening and I came and interviewed. I actually turned the job down because it was sort of narrow, a little narrowly focused for me. And I was looking at other travel related jobs that I might get involved in. And then hospice called me back and they said, well, We've got another opportunity we want you to look at. And I thought, Hmm, you know what? I'm thinking the man upstairs might be trying to talk to me and move me in a particular direction. So, I joined them. I took a 50% cut in pay from my corporate life because the hospice I work for is a nonprofit. Um, but I have I've never been happier in my life. It was just such a such a godsend. It's just an honor and a privilege to be a part of this organization.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah. yeah. I feel so lucky. Yeah.
0: And you know, a yeah. lot of
1: people say, "Oh my gosh, how in oh the do you God. work for hospice?" Yeah, yeah, isn't that depressing? And you know, people cry. I mean, you get close to your patients, and and that's okay. I mean, in fact, one of the gentlemen that I interviewed when I first came here, um, I had to interview like forty of our staff in order to go educate about what we do. And he said, "When a baby's born, that's a very special time of life." Well, end of life is a very special, beautiful time yeah. of life if it's done right. Yep. And he said, I just feel honored to be a part of it. And I couldn't agree with him more.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And I, I just love what's happening with end of life in terms of what we're creating around the ritual and the ceremony and those precious moments. There's so much absolutely more that families can include during the last days and there's so many ways to celebrate someone's life now I think it is
1: I know know we're running short on time I will quickly say that we had one patient who she wanted to attend her funeral so she had him do the party before she died because she wanted to be there
0: (laughs) Oh, you know what Someone, someone just shared a story of a relative who lives in California and selected his time to die he selected assisted uh-huh. suicide. So they created oh. a ceremony the day of so that it was like a living funeral.
1: Wow. And she talked
0: about how powerful it was, how powerful it was. Really kind of wow. amazing. Right.
1: We have yeah, so many choices. Sure
0: is. We can create whatever it is that we want, and I really think that that's going to inspire us to really be creative about what do we, what do we create that honors – the life and honors the lives that continue. That's right. So, Tina, this was a lot of fun. So for our listeners...
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're welcome. So the TELUS Summit launches September 15th, and it's free. I love that. You've you've created this really wonderful resource for everyone to take advantage of, 22 experts, and it's free. And I'll give everybody... I'll give everybody the website, and it's Great. it's abouthowyoulive.com. Again, that's the website awesome. is it's abouthowyoulive.com. And, Tina, you're also going to launch a six-week webinar training program soon. Can you tell us quickly about
1: that? I can. Um, it, that's going to come out later this fall. The first week, it's going to be a one-hour call for each week for six weeks. The first week will be focused on... Um, Hospice care, palliative care, end-of-life care. Second, we will be focused on um, advanced care planning. Third week will be on caregiving with a special emphasis on Alzheimer's. Fourth week will be on community resources like long-term care facilities, hospices, cancer services, things like that. Um, Lordy, now I've lost my train of thought. Oh, fifth week will be on Greece. And then the sixth week will be on um, just sort of reviewing some of the major points as well as additional resources and helpful uh, support services that people can, can embrace. So I'm um, really looking forward to that. That sounds awesome.
0: So for our listeners, you can become our viewers by going to my Facebook page on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time where Tina and I will continue the conversation about hospice, end-of-life, and her telesummit. And the telesummit, again, is it's about how you live, and it launches September 15th. Thank you so much, Tina. Just so lucky you for Friday. Absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. And thanks, everybody, so much for listening. I'm Denise Brown. Be sure to stop by caregiving.com. Let us know how you're doing because we always love to know.